Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. I'm just going to go straight into God's word today. I announced to us last week and the week before that I'm going to be starting a new series of talks under the David header, but this is actually titled Giant Slayers, Giant Slayers. This is going to be a good one, a good one. So we're going to start this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And my reading today is in the New Living Translation. It's a, I'm reading two scriptures and they're both quite a little bit long, longer than the norm for us, but they are fantastic readings that you need to lean into. And for the substance of the series that we're going to have, we need to actually read the entire text that I'm going through this morning. So we're in First Samuel chapter 17 from verse 1 to 11. First Samuel chapter 17, 11 from verse 1 rather to verse number 11. And I read, the Bible says this, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkah in Judah and Azekah in Ephes Damin. Saul countered by gathering the, his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposing or opposite hills with the valley between them. We had the children of Israel on one side, on a hill, we had the Philistines on another side, and there was a valley, a valley huh, between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion of Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. His bronze coat of mail, his armor, body armor weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield and Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. This guy was a beast. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man, one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard him, and heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I'm going to jump to verse number 32 now. First Samuel 17, leap to verse number 32 with me. And he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I will go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way, no way in hell that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. 
If the animal turns on me, I will catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions, plural, and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Samuel gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Verse number 40 is critical. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. To fight the Philistine, singular, Goliath. I want us to go to the book of Numbers for our second reading. Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to take a few verses in that chapter of the Bible as well. And then we're just going to take off from there. This is going to be good. First Numbers, rather, chapter number 13. I'll read verse 1 and 2, and then I'll jump to verse 27. Verse 1 says that the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. Verse number 27, it says, this was their report to Moses. The spies had gone out. The 12 leaders of the ancestral tribes of Israel had gone out to spy the land as the Lord had said, and they had come back. And this was their report to Moses. He said, we entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Uh, we even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. I'm going to jump to verse number 30. But Caleb, who was one of the 12, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report. Another translation calls it an evil report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought. Two, the, the, the talk obviously for this morning is giant slayers. This is the first part of any number of parts. I have no idea. We'll stop when we're tired. Giant slayers. Now, this first story I read in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is a very popular story in scripture. It's the story of David and Goliath. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath because everyone loves a good 
underdog victory story. All right, this little boy fights this massive giant and somehow he's able to triumph. So obviously in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school growing up, they told you the story of David and Goliath to motivate you as a kid. You can do all things. You can kill Goliath. All right, go thee forth and slay the giants. All right. So we all know the story of David and Goliath. It's an amazing, it's a fascinating story. All right, fascinating story. It's just like me um, beating LeBron in a game of basketball. The, the chances are slim to none, but somehow by the spirit of God, LeBron, watch out. It, it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing um, story that we read in the Bible. And you need to understand when the Bible describes Goliath, it says that he's over nine feet tall. Now, nine feet is significant. The average person is... The average guy is under six feet tall, all right? So this is an extra three feet on the average individual. And this was in a time when people weren't generally that big, all right? Um, <laughs> so he was tall. The Bible says that his body armor, just the, the armor he wore to protect himself, his coat of mail, the Bible calls it, was about 120 something pounds. I am about 155 pounds, you know, soaking wet kind of thing. So. This guy, his armor alone was slightly less than what I weighed. That he was a terrifying, imposing figure. All right. And so when we talk about giant slayers, let me just go right ahead and define, put some context around what I consider to be a giant for us. And in this particular context, a giant is a significant obstacle, a significant obstacle, a, 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 an obstacle of large dimensions that we might face, not just human obstacles, situational obstacles, all right, any spiritual obstacles, any obstacle that you face that is significant, large in, in, in its measurements and dimensions, weighty is a giant, all right? Um, a giant is also an opposition to destiny that is physically insurmountable. It's an opposition to destiny. That's the metaphor there, the application, an opposition to destiny that is physically insurmountable because Goliath was an opposition to the destiny of Israel. He was an opposition to the destiny of David that was physically, not spiritually, but physically insurmountable. All right. A giant also is a big opportunity with a little chance of success, a huge opportunity, but has a very minute, minute chance of success. A giant is a threat that is intimidating. You're up against a threat that is a giant. An eviction notice, a deportation notice. Um, you've been, you've been told that, you know, something bad. You've been given a death sentence by the doctors or you've been diagnosed with a fatal, um, disease or the disease that has no cure. That is a giant in front of you. It's a threat a threat of looming disaster that is intimidating like Goliath. And of course, a giant is also a gate to destiny. All right, so a giant is a significant obstacle. All right, it is an opposition to destiny that is physically insurmountable. It is a big opportunity, big opportunity, but with a very little chance of success. All right, it is a threat, a threat that is intimidating and it is a gate to destiny. So that's the, the, so when you think about giants and think about application in our lives today, a giant can be sickness, an incurable disease, like I said. All right, you get a, you know, doctor tell you that you have four months to leave and there's nothing they can do for you. COVID-19 is a giant. All right, a giant can be a mountain of debt. Maybe you're on, you have so much debt that you have no strategy that could possibly bring you out in the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. 
that is a giant that qualifies. Oh, unemployment in the midst of a recession or you're seeking employment in the midst of a recession, that is a giant. That is an obstacle that looks physically insurmountable or a threat that is intimidating. What about lifelong mental illness? You've struggled with something, you were born with a particular disease and you've carried it all your days, all your years. It stayed with you for as long as you've known yourself. That can be a giant. Oh, taking a city for Jesus, all right? Bringing or birthing revival in a city, that can definitely be a giant, all right? It is, it is, it is something, it is a gate to destiny. It's a significant obstacle that is before you. What about shattering professional gas, I mean, glass ceilings, rather? You, you're professional in your, in your field. There are not too many people, maybe of your pigmentation, maybe not too many people that have the same status as you, who speak the way you speak, or who are not, you know, who are women, if you're, if you're, if you're a woman, and you are able to shatter that glass ceiling. That can be a giant if that's a desire that you have in your heart. What about breaking negative cycles in your family? Maybe they're consistent evil patterns that show up in your family, that can be a giant. Overcoming addiction can be a giant. Professional board exams can be a giant of any kind, all right? Raising godly children, all right, in a degenerate world that we live in right now, that is definitely a giant. That, that is a, 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 a significant obstacle. That is a difficult task to achieve, as it were. Leading a thousand people to Jesus in your lifetime, that is a giant. So some of us, you know, you have a thousand Instagram followers, but how many Jesus followers have you raised? All right, that is a giant, that is a giant. So the, 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 why must we talk about giant slayers? Because if we're gonna be talking about this, why is this important? I, mean, I cannot stay here too long, but I'll just give you a few reasons why this is critical to us. The first reason why is because God expects you to slay giants, simple. It's the expectation of, the, of our Father, the Lord, that you would slay giants. Why? Because, and I've said this before, I repeat it for those of us who are new, I've said to us that when you dream or when you vision and vision something for your children, you do it based on your capacity. Your mind is what shapes the vision that you have for your kids. And because God is our father, when he dreams for us, he dreams based on his capacity. So every dream that God will put in our hearts that comes from God would look like slaying a giant. It would look so impossible. It will look outrageous. The obstacles will look insurmountable because to you they are, but to him they're nothing. He dreams from his own capacity. The Bible says in the book of Job chapter 32 and verse 8 that there is a spirit in man. The breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Or another translation says the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. So if you have been quickened in your spirit by the inspiration of the Lord, that quickening, that inspiration is going to be a giant. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be insurmountable. God expects us to slay giants. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9, from verse 9 to 11, the Bible says that eye hath not seen, ears have not heard. Okay, what it, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed, revealed them to us through his spirit through his spirit. So the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit, we've never seen it. We've never heard of it. 
It has never been conceived by the heart of man. And so that's why when God gives you a dream, it's outrageous. It's from nowhere. You have a hard time sometimes even articulating the details of what God is putting in your heart. For some of us, we cannot make sense of it quite yet because we've never seen anything like it. And we are looking for something that we've seen in our past to validate the dreams that God has put in our heart. But God says, no, I has not seen, ear has not heard. It has not entered into the hearts of men what I have prepared for you. But I have revealed it to you by my spirit. And that's a problem. Why? Because he dreams based on his vision and his capacity and his capacity and ours. There's a bit of a gap there. Think about a man called Moses. God goes to Moses and says to Moses, Exodus chapter three, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Now, that is the one place that Moses should not go to the house of Pharaoh. Oh, not only am I sending you to the house of Pharaoh, I'm telling you to go and speak for me. Now, that is the other one thing that Moses could not do. He could not speak well. He was a stutterer. So he was supposed to go stand before Pharaoh who wanted to chop off his head and start stuttering. So, so that Pharaoh has just enough time to sharpen his blades and chop his head off. But that's what God does. God says, I will send you on an assignment based on my capacity. It has nothing to do with your capacity. It has everything to do with my capacity. Number one reason why, God expects you to slay giants. The second reason why we need to talk about this is because there are giants in every man's promised land. The second scripture we read in Numbers chapter 13 tells us that the children of Israel, they've been on a journey for you know, a few days now, weeks actually, they've come out of Egypt. God promises them, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. In Exodus chapter three, he tells Moses this, but he leaves out conveniently the part about giants in the land. They get to the threshold, all right, the boundary of entering the new land. And God says to Moses, well, um, I would like you to send spies into the land. Just go check it out. Casually, just go check it out. These guys go into the, the land as spies, 12 of them, and they discover to their shock that there are giants in the land. The descendants of Anak are in the land. Now, <laughs> this is the point where I get some of my grapes because the Bible says that they actually did take some of the fruit of the land. It was grape season. And so they grabbed the, a, a cluster of grapes and the, the grapes were so huge because it was a very fertile land that it took two people to carry the grapes shoulder to shoulder. Now, this is the part where I don't return to Moses if I'm one of the spies. I take my grapes and I'm eating my grapes on my way back to Egypt. I'm like, what I've seen, I want no part of it at all. There are giants in every man's promised land. When God gives you a vision, there's the milk and honey dimension, and then there is a giant dimension there. The third reason why we should talk about this is because the Bible describes our adversary in a very similar way as Goliath. The Bible calls him strong, a strong man. Not only a strong man, but fully armed, okay? He has armor, he has ammunition. So when, when we have an adversary that is strong and fully armed like Goliath, we need to understand what is required, what is necessary to take down that adversary um, called the devil. So the Bible says, if a man, if you're, you know, if a man, if a strong man who is fully armed guards his possessions and all that, then his goods has, are safe, but until one who is stronger than he comes and all that stuff. So the devil is likened metaphorically to a strong man or some kind of a giant as well. So we need to understand how to deal with this. But I want to just quickly set some expectations, okay? Because giant slaying in the context that I want to address it anyways, it's not about doing something big in life. It's not about self-ambition. It's not rooted in self-ambition. It's not about doing something big in life. It is about doing something significant with your life. Hmm. It's not about doing something big in life. It's about doing something significant with your life. So the missionary who goes to um, a, a village in India 
and takes the entire village for God. No one ever gets to learn of his name, but he dies there, all right, as a matter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a giant slayer. All right, the person who's able to adopt seven kids with special needs who were not not you know, not 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 his or her own child or their her own children and raise them and give them a home to live that is a giant slayer so it's not just in the glamorous things it's not just in the glitter all right and the high places of the earth that you find giant slayers you find giant slayers in my context anyways in every dimension whenever you're walking the path of what god has he has asked you to do whenever you're making a difference in a significant way, you're a giant slayer. So it's not about doing something big in life. It is about doing something significant with, with your life. It's not about making a name for yourself. It's about making a name for him, for him. We read that scripture in Psalms 100 before worship that says that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're not like the people who are at the Tower of Babel who say we're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens and then we'll make a name for ourselves. It's not about making a name for yourself. It's about making a name for him, for him, all right? It is not rooted in self-ambition. It is rooted in his agenda, just to set expectations before we proceed any further. So let's talk about David and Goliath. Goliath, Goliath represented a gate to destiny for David. The scenario here, though it was a challenge for the people of Israel and the nation of Israel, also there's a dichotomy there in that it represents also a gate of destiny for David. This gate of destiny is what brings David to the limelight. This is what earns him the favor of the entire nation and the loyalty of the people and the hearts of the people were, 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 were stared towards him after the victory over Goliath. So it was a gate, it was a gate to destiny for David, but also it was a threat to God's people at the same time. A structure and a representation of the kingdom of darkness because David is careful to announce to us that this is an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, in the Old Testament, when you say an uncircumcised person, he was basically saying that you're not a person of God. You are, you are an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. You are a, a representation of the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says this, and this is where I really start to excavate the text. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, if you can find it, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40 in NLT says that he picked up five stones from a stream. David did this. He put the stones in his shepherd's bag, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. I have looked into people in the Bible who had repeated success in killing giants. I found a couple of people. One of them is David, and the other guy is a guy called Caleb. Now, David did not just kill one giant, by the way. David killed Goliath. He also killed a brother or a relative of Goliath. So this was not a fluke incident. There was also a guy called Caleb who was one of the 12 spies in Numbers 13 where we read who went into the land, spied the land with the people, and he came out and said, you know what, we can take the land, let's go at once to take the land. And he does go, eventually make it into the promised land, slay some giants, and he's given a portion of the promised land that is also kind of infested, for lack of a better word, with giants, and he takes that area as well. So these are not guys who are, they didn't just fluke this thing, all right? They didn't just fluke this thing. They, they, there was a methodology, there was, a, <laughs> there was some, some kind of structure to the success that they had with killing giants. So let's talk about this for a, for, for a moment. 
What makes a person who hears the exact same thing? So David and the children of Israel, the armies of Israel, not just the children of Israel, the armies of Saul, these are warriors of Saul. They hear the exact same thing. Goliath comes out, he makes threats. Your children are Saul. I'm a champion of God. I'm a champion of the Philistines. Send me a man. I defy the armies of Israel this day. If he wins, then we would be your slaves. If I win, then you'd be our slaves. They hear the exact same thing, but they have different responses. What makes this? What explains this phenomenon? What explains the phenomenon where 12 people go into the land as spies and 10 come back with one report that is very negative and two come back with a positive report and say we can go let's go at once despite the fact that they saw giants in the land how do you explain the fact that people who have been exposed to the exact same thing they had the same revelation of god they heard the same promises of god through the mouth of moses they had seen the same pillar of cloud by night the pillar of fire by day they had seen the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They had seen the Red, Red Sea part. They had seen manna from heaven. They had experienced God in the same exact dimension. They enter into the, into the land as spies. They see the same thing, same visuals. Yet, 10 come back and say something totally different. And two people say something totally different. Same thing with David. He comes to the battlefield. He hears the same chants that Goliath has been issuing for days. And his reaction is different. What, what could possibly explain this phenomenon? What it is really is that while on the exterior, externally, they're exposed to the exact same thing, they are very different people on the inside of them. It is, it is, the, it is the internal composition of these individuals that makes their perception, their interpretation, their perspective, their outlook, their attempts to be completely different. David comes one time, just once, he hears Goliath say the same thing. He'd been saying for 40 days, by the way, 40 days he'd been saying this. These guys had heard him for 40 days. David heard this one time and he says, no, this has to stop. This cannot go on. This is the last time that you would ever do that. What makes people so different? It's the internal composition. And I would call that the mind, the mind. They had a different mind than the others. Why? Because you don't kill an, you don't kill a giant by accident. God <laughs> in his ways is not going to allow you to stumble. Okay. Into a giant by accident. No, God says to them, you go spy the land, knowing fully well that they will see giants in the land. In other words, God was going to give them the opportunity <laughs> to process what they were about to do. That this is a suicide mission, guys. You don't kill giants by accident. No. No. You will have enough time, sufficient time, for the information or the obstacle before you to enter into your mind to process it before you make decisions or before you take an action. It's not the Holy Spirit just takes charge of you and you go kill a giant. No. God gives you opportunity to process this. Your mind has some time to process what you're about to attempt. And let me tell you this, that there are four types of people, four types of people in this context. The first types of, type of people, the first, first category of groups, group of individuals are, are, the, are these guys who they never conceive a scenario that involves them to slay a giant. They, they, they just never, they just, 
their spirit just does not receive such revelations from God. It's like they told God, don't speak to me on issues of this nature. And they just don't, they just don't, they don't conceive anything of the, of the kind. That's one group of people. There's another group of people who conceive this idea that there is a giant in my life or there's a giant before me that I need to overcome. However, they do nothing about it. They don't attempt anything. The third group are those who conceive it, receive it by the inspiration of the Spirit. They attempt the battle, but they fail. And the fourth group, of course, are those who conceive, attempt, and are victorious. But you understand that there is already a distinction between those who conceive and do nothing and those who conceive and attempt. The children of Israel were in that category of people who conceived. They saw the promised land. The word of God had been shared to them. They'd been stirred up by Moses. Moses had spoken to them and said, God is taking you to a good land. The spies came back and validated that it's a good land. Look, here are the grapes of the land. But they were not ready to move forward. David as well heard the same thing. Children of Israel were not ready to move forward, but he was ready to move forward. It is the mind then that takes you from that second class to the third class. Doesn't guarantee that you win, but that you even attempt it at all. It's because you already won a victory in your mind. So the first giant you must slay is the giant in your mind. Because if you don't overcome that giant in your mind, you will never attempt. You would always be in the second category of people who have received revelations of God and God has given them dreams and visions and things to pursue, but they never take a step because they've been paralyzed in their minds by the giant that's inside. The internal giant has won the battle. So they never actually attempt to face the external giant. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They were, in their minds, they were grasshoppers mentality, what they thought of themselves, hindered and stopped them from actually pursuing the possibilities that existed. So it is very possible, this is important that you understand, it's extremely possible that you capture the realities of the spirit. What God would have you do, you capture it clearly, but you do nothing about it because your mind stifles that reality and kills it before it finds expression. Your mind logically tells you why this is not going to happen, why this is not possible. Your mind informs you and educates you of all the facts and why this is a nine foot giant and why his coat of mail is 125 pounds and why his spear, just the tip of his spear weighs about 25 pounds. Why? This cannot happen. Your mind educates you and because of that, what you trapped or what you caught as revelation from the spirit is trapped in your mind. The mind is the graveyard of a lot of spiritual intents. If we had access to the minds of people, we would see a graveyard where a lot of spiritual realities that God has transmitted to our lives have perished. Not because God has never charged us to do something, but because your mind explained it away, because your mind said to you that this was not possible. And one of the major assets that would, that would separate giant slayers, all right, from fleeing grasshoppers, is the mind that they have. You see the same thing, you're exposed to the same thing, you have the same revelation, the same word from God, but you do nothing, nothing whatsoever because your mind will not permit you to do anything about the circumstance. It's interesting, amazing that Christians fall into this category. As a matter of fact, I think this is where the majority of Christians are, where we receive 
in our hearts, we feel like God is telling us to do something, but we find 10 reasons why it's not going to work. The Holy Spirit just ministered to you. Why don't you pray for that crippled woman on that wheelchair right now? And in your, your mind tells you, uh, you're just going to embarrass yourself and you're going to bring shame to the name of God and you don't do it. Or God gives you an idea to execute, but you are intimidated by the, by the, by the, by the, by the, by the requirements of it. All right. Or by the scope of it. And your mind explains it away and says, you're too young for that. You should, you, this is, this is never going to happen. You're just going to get your heart broken. Your mind is the place of doubt. It's the seat of doubt. Why? Because it processes facts. It processes external factors, not truth, facts. And if your mind has not been shaped in such a way that on the one side is your spirit, which captures the realities of God, and on the other side is the external world, your physical being, or you know the physical world we live in, where issues of the spirit are able to flow freely through your mind without getting trapped there and find physical expression in you, you're going to fall into that second category of people who have dreams and things that visions of what God has shown them, but their mind never saw it happen. You think about a man in the Bible called Zechariah. Just think about Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. You find his story in Luke chapter one. The Bible tells us that Zechariah, he's a priest. He's a man of God. He's serving in the temple. And an angel of God appears to him and says to him, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. You would have a son. He shall be this. He shall be that. And he shall be all that. And Zechariah's is, his mind kicks in and he says, what, how will this ever happen? I'm old. My wife is also old and stricken in age. This is not possible. But the, what, what strikes me is the fact that the angel said, your prayers have been answered. So Zechariah was praying that God would give him a child. Yet when the answer to his prayer showed up, his mind was about to trap that reality and cannot process the answers to the spiritual realities that God is passing through him. And so the angel says, you shall not speak anymore. You've been praying for something. I have come with the answers to your prayer. And guess what? You, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Your mind is trapping it. I think about another example in the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter number three. And this is one, this is one of those rare instances where God bypasses your mind. All right. It doesn't happen all the time. And it would happen very yeah, sparingly in your life, actually. But God does this for the sake of this guy. And the reason why really is because he's an unbeliever. The Bible says that Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they get to the gate called Beautiful. And there's a guy who's lame at his feet. He's born. He's 40 years old. He's never walked a day in his life. So you can kind of see how his mind is set about this thing being a complete impossibility. And Peter ministers to him and says to him, look at us. I'm a man of God. Silver and gold I don't have. But such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that the guy is just sitting there looking at them. Ha! What's happening is that even though the power for his healing has been released, his mind, all right, his mind has kept him seated on the floor there. And Peter says, grabs him by the hand and jerks him to his feet. And before he can, you know, fall back into the thinking, he finds out that I'm standing. And that's how he gets his miracle. Because Peter bypassed his mind. While his mind was processing everything, Peter just grabs him and throws him up. And says, if you like, fall down. But he ends up standing up and says, oh, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Praise the Lord. And he runs into the temple singing and praising and leaping and praising God. The mind is very capable of trapping spiritual realities that God wants to do in your life. God will not bypass your mind. So you're not going to be a giant killer by accident. There is the need 
for us to understand the place of the mind. So Caleb, David, they were different. Caleb comes back with the crew and Joshua, all right, and he says, let us go up at once. Everybody is freaking out. Caleb says, let us go right now. This moment, let's go. Let's go right now, all right? <laughs> because there is something different about the mind that he has. He's able to process what God has promised and somehow take that through that sieve of the mind and reflect that reality in the physical. Whereas everybody else was saying, no, we're all going to get killed. We were like grasshoppers in the eyes of these people. There were giants in the land. Did you not see the giants, Caleb? What is wrong with you? We told you, put on your glasses. You, you, you did not see. We were showing them to you. But Caleb and Joshua saw the giants but they just had a different perspective. The mind is powerful. If you're ever going to be a giant slayer, if you're ever going to do anything significant, you have to get to the point. The first step is you must cross the hurdle in your mind. You must kill the giant that is in your mind first before you kill the giant that is outside. And that's why the Bible says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is the renewing of your mind that transforms you. So that things and realities of God, spiritual intents that you could not process before, as you grow in God, you're now able to process because your mind is being renewed. He's not just talking about a renewal of the mind whereby you don't conform to the sinful nature of the world, but also to the limitations of the world. To that, that caste that when a, a person who's not of God, who's not of the kingdom of God, sees an impossibility, they say this is an impossibility. But God is saying if your mind is renewed enough, you see an impossibility and you say there is a way here like David did and said this is possible. This is the last time that Goliath would ever threaten people. So while David was a young boy, he was a shepherd boy, despised. As a matter of fact, the people said, look, you're just a boy. You're not even in the army of Israel. You're just a boy. While he was just a boy, he was a giant on the inside. Whereas Saul and all his entire you know, band of, of soldiers, they were boys on the inside. And David had to really show them who the real boy was in this situation the first giant don't ever forget that that the first giant that you must slay is the one inside it's the one in your mind because your mind is capable of being a prison that traps the expressions of god through you the mind is where your doubts lie all right the mind the mind of many people is a graveyard of spiritual intent i'm telling you this if, if God would just say, where did all the revelation and all the inspiration that I have pumped your way, where did they die? Most of them died in our minds. We explained it away. We, 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 we found a way to factually escape from it and just let it die of natural causes in the graveyards of our minds. I want to take this a bit further and it gets really, really good here. Because let's assume that you're dealing with these negative thoughts. You're dealing, which most of us are, um, if I, I want to say all of us do at some point or the other. You're dealing with these negative thoughts in your mind. You're struggling. God has, you know, called you to something. God has put a burden in your heart for something. But the, the, the mind is just not giving you room for expression. What makes this worse is when you actually speak what is in your mind. So my charge to you is this, that even if you think it, don't speak it because <laughs> let's assume that the, the, the chances of survival of that, of that revelation, of that um, direction that is going to cause you to slay a giant is, is 
50% because your mind is clouded. You have, you've not been able to process this through your mind. If it's 50%, the moment you speak that doubt, the moment you speak that negative confes confession and conclusion about that issue, that jumps from 50% chance to an 85% chance of it not happening. Because there are layers of impossibility. The words that we speak have the capacity Okay, to ensnare us. The Bible says that we are ensnared even by the words of our mouths. So when you think something that is not quite good, God says to you, you know, do this. If you're, if you're struggling with doubt in your mind, if, if you know that your mind has not been able to process it just yet, make sure that you don't get to a point where you make conclusive statements about that reality because once you do that you have just shifted gears in terms of how impossible it actually truly becomes and god said you know when the children of israel came back and the, the 10 spies and they said oh we're we're going to die and the people started you know just they just there was just an uproar the people started going crazy saying oh we are all going to die in the wilderness god has brought us out to kill us here our kids are going to become victims and we're not going to be able to you know we're going back to egypt and the bible says in numbers 14 and verse 28 that god says to them as i leave if god says as i leave then that's almost like saying i promise you because god leaves indeed and he never dies as i leave says the lord he says just as you have spoken in my hearing so i will do to you Understand that when you're faced with impossible situations, you need to be careful about the words that you utter. You, 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 you can think it, I'm not saying it's good, but let's assume you're thinking it because that's where most of us are. You need to make sure it stays in your head. It doesn't come out of your mouth because the moment it comes out of your mouth, you have just given more ammunition to the doubt, to the impossibility, to the, you've just strengthened Goliath. That's what you've really just done. The Bible says in Matthew 12 and verse 37 that by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So just because you might be having some doubts in your mind, you need to be very careful that you don't translate that doubt into conclusive statements. I'm not saying you don't state the facts. Sometimes you can state the facts. Okay. And you know, what are the facts of the issue? However, to make a conclusive statement like, like the children of Israel did, that we will all die in the wilderness, our kids are going to become slaves, that we are going back to Egypt, right there, right there, you have strengthened the giant. You have increased the chances of your situation staying as an impossibility because it has now translated from what is a mental barrier, it has translated into something that you have spoken. And words have power. Words have a spirit behind them. And the Bible says that he that guards his mouth preserves his life. Proverbs 13 and verse 3. You need to be careful the things that you say. I hear Christians all the way say, all the time say, I'm just saying the truth. No, 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 you're not saying the truth. You're saying the facts. The truth is what God says about the circumstance. And if God has inspired you about that situation, then what God has said is the truth. The Bible says, let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Don't speak it. All the words you speak are to God's hearing. Even if you're speaking it to a friend, the Bible says God, they were talking to Moses and God says, as you have said in my hearing, they weren't talking to God. They were talking to Moses and to themselves. They were going back. This is not going to work. God says, as you have said in my hearing, exactly what you've said is what is going to happen to you. And so when you get into bad, you know, bad times, for example, you're, a, you, you're, you're a fresh graduate or something, you 
They say the economy is going bad. Yeah, th those are the facts that there's a bit of a economic depression out there as a result of COVID-19. You, you can acknowledge the facts, but don't take the facts and jump to conclusions and say things like, well, I'm not going to be able to get a job for, for the next nine months. And because of that, um, very soon, they're going to disconnect my line. And, and so once you say that, as you have said in the hearing of God, that exactly is what's going to happen. You're not going to get a job for nine months. Um, they're good, definitely going to disconnect your phone and you might actually get worse. Maybe your girlfriend is also going to leave you because of course, how do you do social isolation, social distancing without any kind of um, device right now? God is saying to you that even what you think, if it's negative, it doesn't align with God's word. Don't speak it out. Catch it in your head. Don't verbalize. And that's where Zechariah was. He started to speak. He didn't, he didn't think in his head his doubt. He started to speak his doubt. And the angel had to strike his mouth and say, no, you will say no further before you abort the promise of God or the promise that you, are, you actually have been praying for for years. You need to watch what you say. You need to watch the things that you say. I'll go one step further and tell you this. If thinking it gives you a 50% chance of it not happening, speaking it, take that, that chance to 85%. What takes the chance to 99%? What really gives strength to the giant is when you write it down. Now, as I was preparing for this, I felt very strongly in my heart to speak to people who journal. It's a good habit. You should continue to journal, but you have to be careful that you never get to a point where you write a negative conclusion down in your journal because when you write something down you've given it three layers of power not just the thoughts of your mind all right which has power in itself just to hinder you but you have spoken it and then you have gone further to actually write it down do not do this there is a reason guys why the word of God is written down. It's not because of God's integrity. We know God will fulfill everything he has said. So if the Bible was never written, everything that God wants to do will still be done if he has spoken it to someone, even in the secret of a cave somewhere. So why then does God make sure that his words are penned on paper? Because there is power that follows the word that is penned down. It's so that everyone, you know, for example, in a, comp, in a court, any court of competent jurisdiction will tell you that um, the witness, the testimony of what you heard someone say is, is hearsay. All right. It'll tell you it's hearsay and, and dismissible most times in court. All right. But you cannot dismiss what's been written down. There, there is, you know, <laughs> there's proof beyond reasonable doubt that the things that God said are documented for your benefit, not, 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 for, not for his benefit, for you, for everybody to know that I've spoken these words. I haven't spoken in secret. That's what the Bible says. I haven't spoken in a dark place. I didn't whisper. It's written down. There's a reason why. And Bible says that a jot of my word will not pass away. What you write down is powerful. L listen to me. Habakkuk chapter 2, book of Habakkuk chapter 2 from verse 2 to 3. It's a popular scripture most of us know, but I read it just because I want to make a point here. The Bible says that, then the Lord answered me and said, the Lord said to me, God was giving me a piece of advice, write the vision, write it down. He says, make it plain on tablets. Why? That he may run who reads it. There is an energy to run that comes with what has been written down, even for you. So if I write something down for myself, all right, not just for people, for other people, if I write a vision down for myself, that 
fact that I wrote that down provides me with an energy to move that I would naturally not have if I didn't write it down. So there is benefit to writing things down. However, be careful what you write down because there is the potential for us to write down negative conclusions that we might have or be facing in any circumstance or situation of our lives and, and take that to become conclusive about the reality. Do not write it down. Do not write down. Don't speak it. Don't write it down. So how do you deal with the giants in your mind? How? How? You just said to us, Pastor, that we need to deal with our minds. We need to make sure that, you know, we capture spiritual realities and they don't perish in our minds. And we're able to translate that into phys physical actions that bring about results. And then we kill the giant and all that. How? The first way is you must limit exposure to the voice of Goliath. I have a feeling, guys, that if David had been on that battlefield for seven days, he'd heard Goliath, because the Bible says that for 40 days, Goliath came out every single day and said the same words. Now, if he'd been there for seven days, I have a feeling that he would never have been able to kill Goliath. Why? Because the words of Goliath have entered his spirit, but he heard it once. He did not wait for the second time. He understood something that the rest of these guys never understood, that this is dangerous. This dude is not just threatening my life with his words. He is threatening my mind. You have to limit exposure to the voice of Goliath. And we're in a situation that is a perfect example in the midst of a pandemic. And many Christians right now have become uh, infectious disease experts. We read all the statistics. We are meditating on the facts of the COVID-19. I'm not saying you should ignore the facts. You should be abreast of the facts, but you don't meditate on the facts because the more you expose yourself to the voice of Goliath, the stronger the stronger, the stronger he becomes to you and the weaker your mind is to ever deal with it. You heard Goliath speak for 40 days and 40 nights, the same thing that you have no chance of, you're not going to rise up on the 41st day and say, now I'm upset with Goliath, I'm going to kill him. No, every time he speaks and you hear his words, the amount of fear and trepidation you have in your heart grows and increases. And so practically speaking, what I'm saying to us is that when you're faced with a situation that you know you need to get over onto the other side, be aware of the facts, but you're not going to meditate on the facts. You have to meditate on the truth because it's not just a threat to you. It's a threat to your, to your mind. It's a threat to your mind. Limit the voice of Goliath. When, when, when Caleb and Joshua came back from that, you know, that adventure of, the, of, of spying the land, Caleb said, let's go right now, right this moment. Let's go. Because the people started to spread a negative report. And the more he understood that the more that they said what they saw, the more the people were going to become weakened. So he said, let's go up at once. They understood that when God gives you a direction and God stirs your heart and inspires you in one, in one area, that's not the time to go look at the facts and say, oh, well, um, these are all the things that are going to stand in the way of this thing happening. And you read it every morning and every night and every morning and every night and every morning and every night. You are never going to kill that giant. Why? Because the voice of the giant is speaking louder in your mind than the voice of God. That's the first thing. You limit exposure to the voice of Goliath. The second thing you have to do is treat it as spiritual warfare. The Bible is clear 
that arguments, thoughts, ways of reasonings are strongholds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 4, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down, for pulling down of strongholds, doing what? Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bringing every thought, thought, thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So you must treat this as spiritual warfare. You must pray against negative thoughts that cloud your mind, negative thoughts that hinder the purposes of God in your life as well. You treat it as spiritual warfare. And the third thing you must do is that you must allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. This is, what the, the, this is one of the benefits that the children of Israel never had. Never had. Because guess what? The months that was going to get them to a point where their minds could fathom what God was willing to do. So everything God did, you know, the Red Sea, the miracles in Egypt, the strong hand, you know, to, to killing Pharaoh, all the miracles he did, victory over Amalek, turning the bitter water, sweet water from a rock, everything that God did along the way, manna from heaven, was to get them to understand that it was possible that they would take the land. So when they got to the threshold of the promised land, Guess what? The majority of them had still not been renewed enough in their minds. Why? Because it takes just as much time. If your mind has been battered externally for 10 years, it's, you're not going to renew that mindset in 10 weeks. It's going to take time if you're doing it externally alone. And that's why the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. So we have internal help to help us renew them. The mindsets that we have that are dangerous to renew the, 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 the ways of thinking that we have to help us deal with the giants in our minds. The Holy Spirit helps us. It's quicker when it's happening from the inside out than from the outside in. We saw that with the children of Israel. All the miracles. And we say this all the time. All the miracles God did for these people. How could they you know, still not believe God and so on and so forth? You need to understand that four generations of slavery is a deep thing. Um, external miracles was not going to solve that problem. Something had to happen from the inside out. And the, the benefit that you and I have is that we have the Holy Spirit given to us when we give our lives to Jesus and he helps us. He transforms us. He reinvents us as much as we allow him to. So the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, that let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be like God. Let the Spirit renew your minds and attitudes. I said everything I said to say this, that if you don't deal with the giants inside first, you will never do what David did. And I'm not talking about killing Goliath. You will never even take the step because in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. He started across. He made progress. He crossed the threshold where everyone stayed back. David actually said, I'm going forward to fight. Many of us will never start if we don't deal with the giant that's inside our minds. I want to challenge you because at the end of the day, one of the things that happens, the best thing that happens to us when we give our lives to Jesus as followers of Christ is that he gives you his Holy Spirit. Because the expectation of the Lord is that we change, is that we do not conform is that we're transformed, okay? Is that our minds are being renewed day and day. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you also, which was in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. And for us to have the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God must come into our hearts. And for some of us, we're dealing with issues. We're up against obstacles, huge obstacles that you will consider a giant. 
long-standing family issues. You need the Holy Spirit to start to do a work in you and renew your mind so that your mind is able to capture the spiritual intent of God. Not just capture it and stifle it, but capture it and translate that into finding physical expression. So please, wherever you are, bow your heads with me for just two seconds this morning. Just bow your heads wherever you are. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.